And here we are again for our next episode of One Step Beyond, the Cadence Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian. I'm a therapist and executive coach working with leaders all across North America. So today we are going to talk about a very interesting topic, which is client retention. You know, client retention is an interesting thing because we all want to keep our clients and make sure they're happy, but it's not as easy as just giving people everything they want and delivering well. There is a bit of an art along with a science. So today we've brought in two people that I believe are experts that are going to share all of their knowledge and experience about how not just to keep clients, but to make sure that relationship is exceptional. So after our intro, we're going to crack into it, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we are in New York City, and uh, we've been having a great few days. Uh, So yesterday, we are at one of our favorite companies to work with, Planned Companies. And then last night, uh, the team was in town, uh, myself and Dave and Tammy, and we went out to a fancy French vegan restaurant, which was super cool and unbelievable. And then uh, we went and had some ice cream, hung out in the city. It was awesome. So today, we're going to have an incredible conversation with two of my favorite people ever, And you're going to hear a lot of kind of funny stories laced into this. Robert Francis, CEO of Planned Companies, and Michael Mandillo, president of First Service Residential East. So today we are going to talk about client retention, and I have a great story about how this topic came up. So we're going to leave the the person out of it, but there was a a very senior leader. Him and I were chatting one day, and uh, he said, you know, what would be a great topic is client retention. How to really make sure that you're in the fray and really like working with clients and keeping them, even if they just want to push you out. And you know who you should talk to? You should talk to Michael Mandela and Rob Francis. And I was like, yeah, you know, those are great guys. He's like, no, 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 they're better than great guys. Let me tell you why. Do you know if either of those guys was stabbed in the heart 1,000 times and they were laying in their own blood, just dying, and if someone called them and said, we're about to lose a client. Either one of them would get up off the ground, drive across the state, go meet with the client face-to-face, sign a new contract, and once that contract was signed, then they'd die. (laughs) (laughs) We were laughing so hard. And it really just had to do with this idea of this deep commitment to working with clients and, and keeping clients, not for the sake of keeping them and having this grip on them, but constantly raising the bar to make sure that you're working with clients in a way that is meaningful to them. So that's what we're going to talk about today, that art of real client retention. So I'm going to pass it over to our guests. As we start, I'd love to hear a bit about each of you and how you got into the industry that you're in. And so in that, you know, just tell us about yourself and explain the industry that you're in just enough so the audience understands it. So we're going to start with Michael. Sure, and thank you. Uh, so our industry is a community association management. We manage third-party properties for our clients. About 25, 30 years ago, when I got into this industry, quite different than it is now. Now people actually are making conscientious thoughts and, and processing on 
choosing to come into this industry because this industry now has become something where people want to be in. But going back 25, 30 years ago, it was not. Uh, it was really uh, and always has been kind of a mom and pop. So a lot of people that have been in it for over 20 plus years have really stumbled on it. Yeah. And I'm I'm one of those people that, you know, I did want to get into the service type of business. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an opportunity with two other gentlemen to kind of start our own business. We had big, big thoughts and dreams about uh, getting involved in buying and selling real estate. And uh, what we found out uh, within about a year or two that what we best fit was managing real estate. Not the most sexiest part of being in real estate (laughs) is managing the day-to-day, but what it did create for us is an opportunity of a space that no one really attacked and really made it known to that this could be an opportunity that people can actually build a career on and fell into that from that end of it. But the attraction always was the people, Mm -hmm. Um, not so much the bricks and mortar for me personally, The why was always about the people and being able to solve issues or create opportunities and work with great people. So that's been that's been the attraction, how I fell into it. Cool. And you truly are like 100 percent a people person. Uh, So Michael and I have known each other for eight years, I'd say. Yeah. And um, the whole time from day one, huge people person, great at creating connection, really literally cares about people. So it doesn't surprise me at all that your job essentially is helping people find what they're looking for, find comfort, find happiness. And it's like totally locked in for me. All right. So we're going to switch over to Rob. Rob, you've got a really cool story. So tell us about how you, you know, a bit about yourself, how you got to where you are and the company that you uh, run. So good morning, Rob Francis, president and CEO of Plan Companies. Uh, We are in the customer service business, but happen to be best in class as janitors, maintenance, security, and concierge. Uh, We service the condo, co-op, multifamily industry, as well as corporate, commercial, and retail, really all verticals that require our services. Uh, We're throughout the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, Atlanta, and San Francisco, so probably 11 states and growing, over 4,000 team members and growing, all starting from my great-grandfather in 1898, proudly for 100-plus years, and we love what we do. Fantastic. Awesome. Okay. And also, uh, and you touched on it a little bit. This is a fourth generation family company planned. Yes. That's amazing. It is. So you are the CEO of the company that your great grandparents started. Is that yeah, correct? My great grandfather founded in 1898 as window cleaners, ironically. And then wow. my grandfather uh, built it up, actually went to World War II, came back and built up the janitorial maintenance. And uh, my father and uncle went in the business in the 70s. Uh, built up the security as well. Mm -hmm. And I've been in this business pretty much my whole life, but 21 years officially and absolutely love it. Right on. So out of a topic of client retention, have you retained any clients from your great grandfather? Uh, We have clients that have spanned before I've walked in the door. Actually, after this podcast, I'm going to see one that was from the uh, early 80s. Uh, Proud to say we have a number of clients that either my grandfather and father directly are responsible for bringing in and that's part of it. As Michael said earlier, it is a people business. Mm-hmm. It is really building those relationships that span the, you know, the test of time. So right. yes, I'm proud of that, Aram. All right, cool. So let's get into it. Client retention. So we're talking about if you're about to lose a client or our strategies to how to avoid even getting there. So I want to talk from a philosophical space here, day to day as leaders, senior leaders who have 
hundreds of people underneath you. What's your philosophy for client retention? And I don't mean like some big strategy. I'm saying as a leader, how do you walk that walk every single day? Michael. So first, I, I like what you, what you said in your question was not from this big strategy. So one of the things that I feel that companies are more and more looking at is, you know, what's the, the magic formula, the template on creating great retention? And I think what it starts with is really simplifying it. So I'm going to use an analogy of a great friend you have or a neighbor or a relative. How much strategy do you put in to that relationship? Is there a lot of thought about what you're going to say or where you go to dinner or the conversations you're going to have about your children? It becomes a very authentic, kind of holistic kind of relationship. Philosophically, I feel the best way to really emulate that type of service is really trying to create it on a foundation that is authentic, very authentic. Yes, you should have a strategy. And yes, you should have some certain uh, guiding points along the way. But if the relationship is not built on a really good listening skills, mm-hmm. and are you engaged in that individual because you just want that client to stay or it's a high paying client, or do you really care about what they have to say? Today, clients can sniff out mm-hmm. when you're just doing this by checking the box, or is it very authentic in wanting to build that relationship? So that foundation comes from, at from my standpoint, is casting that shadow by every day being consistent in that style of leading. Okay. I'm going to push on something. I love what you're saying. I want to demystify a word that you're using because it's a big, big word that's uh, thrown around a lot. Authenticity. So what does it mean to be like, what specifically does it mean to be authentic around this topic? Cause you're differentiating saying, Hey, clients can tell if you're, if you're faking the funk basically. So what's authentic? What does that look like? So if you feel you're reading a cue card on how to build a relationship, that to me breaks the authenticity. It has to be stylistically who you are as a personality mm-hmm. and it has to flow for who you are and the individual you're dealing with. So there's not a cookie cutter approach to that. If you are looking for that, I think that's what people will gravitate towards to more sniffing out that it's not authentic. Okay. So... That goes to, cause again, I've known you for a long time. I know 100% authentic in this, in, in everything and in this space. But how do you as a leader hire and train for that? Like, so that how do you, how do you train authenticity, man? So that's, that is a very difficult, difficult process. And, and, and quite frankly, it's work in progress mm-hmm. because we're learning, you know, what we're doing. I think the best way is from having an honest view of awareness of, what didn't work, Yeah, you know, and that's a hard part because leaders, I think in general feel they have to be the one that's, you know, can't fall on their, their face. You know, they have to be doing it right. And I think authentic leaders are ones that will be open to what didn't work and why it didn't work. And let's focus on what was that exactly Mm. now to do that. And then to find out is the person the right fit. I feel when, when you have your team that gets and understands how to be authentic. Have them part of the interview process too. So you do have a skill set, right? So you're hiring for a certain skill set. The people in that space should be operating in the skill set area and looking at it. Then how does it fit with our culture? 
Who are the people on your team that truly, truly understand the culture and operate on a daily basis? Have them spend some time, but not an interview process. Go have a cup of coffee. Okay. It's sounding like to me that it's an art and a science. You have some like specifics, but a lot of it's just kind of like a gut gut feel about someone. Yes. That's an interesting thing because it's kind of an old school way that I feel we're losing a little bit is this idea that sometimes you just got a feeling in your gut about someone. Um, but I want to I want to push even further on this topic because authenticity. If the three of us sat down and said to someone, "Okay, describe to me not vanilla how vanilla tastes, but describe to me all of the things that make vanilla taste a certain way," most people would be like, "I I have no idea what you're talking about." Authenticity. We know how it makes us feel, but we can't describe it because it's a feeling. Yeah. So we are talking about client retention. We are talking about that sense where a client is like, oh, no, this person actually cares about me. And as we're talking about like the interview process, all these things, what specifically, though, are the skills that someone brings to a conversation with clients every single day or in those like crisis moments where you might lose a client that are the difference maker? So I would say listening without judgment Mm, is one. So having an open mind, really truly staying curious, and then being mindful and aware of your emotions. So when someone is pushing you that we as an organization are not servicing them the way they want in a a specific area, it's not to get emotional about that. It's really to listen to the words. Their tone may bring emotion which could really confuse you because they're emotional about it. They may raise their voice. They may point their finger. Cut through the noise and listen to the words. And if the words have meaning to it that we're not delivering, there's two things that are happening. Either we're not, or we're not communicating that we are. So that's where kind of where you have to divide as a leader is what's coming across. Are you truly listening without judgment? Are you letting them finish their complete thought? Mm until they've exhausted everything that they feel they need to to get their message across before you then jump in and either ask more questions about what they're concerned about or start to figure out what the solution is moving forward. And keeping your tone at an even keel is also healthy in that relationship when you're working through a tough time. Okay, awesome. All right, Rob, so now we're over to you. So Rob, I know planned. Planned is all about taking care of the client, retaining and being with people. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the time that I, when I got this thing said to me about the two of you, and I was laughing so hard because I knew it was true. Both of you are so focused on client retention. So when I'm thinking about planned and I'm thinking about you as the president and the CEO, what is your philosophy to client retention? How do you get up in the morning and help the thousands of people that part of your organization move or stay completely away from box checking to sure. really like living this? So I think proudly over uh, being in this business for two decades, uh, we built a culture where the group is just passionate about wanting to deliver exceptional service. So looking for individuals on things you can't check the boxes of. Do they have passion? Do they have integrity? Uh, do they have a positive attitude? So taking from another four generation business, the Nordstrom family, we have planned to build a society and a culture where we actually care about the people we're with and the people we're working for. We want to hire individuals that have that passion, 
have that integrity, um, have those attitudes. So we hire for attitude and we train for skill. You can train on delivering great cleaning service or maintenance service or front desk. You can't make people inherently want to deliver great service unless they have certain parts of that in their DNA. So earlier I heard you ask Michael about authenticity and how can you get people to be authentic? Well, you can't train them on it. It's something they have. And so when you talk about like vanilla ice cream and can you, can you describe what goes into that taste? What go, goes into great people wanting to deliver great service? It's in them. So at plan, when we go into a meeting and someone says, well, why planned? There's, you know, literally, you know, hundreds of you out there, thousands. I say, look, thousands of people can walk into your door and our competition, they may hire all thousand. We'll take 10, 20, 30 individuals that get that we are in a service business, that we have to be on, Disney-like on every day, delivering, caring, and people will feel it. I'll take a Michael uh, saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And you can feel it. When people really care, you can feel it. So at Planned, fortunately, we built a culture where we hire for it, recognize for it, we um, reward on it, we promote for it. And so my role as a CEO is to live it every day. That passion, that commitment is felt, I think, from day one for an individual through uh, their journey at Planned. Mm -hmm. And I think it's made a huge difference in how we perform out there. Right on. Okay, I'm gonna come back to this topic because both of you are talking a lot about you know hiring for this kind of thing. You know, so we see a lot of senior leaders say, like, we hire the best and the brightest. Like, okay, obviously, you know, nobody's out there hiring, like, you know, like the worst and the dimmest. Right. And it, it becomes this thing where it's like, well, we hire for people that are like that. There's something more to it. You two are client retention experts. There's something different about the approach that both of you have and what you're breeding within your organizations, that kind of thing that you're encouraging. I want to understand that. So I want us to move past the like, yeah, we'll hire for it. So we move past the best and the brightest to what is it really about? So I'm going to ask you both. And now I'm going to throw it out to both of you as a general question and, and tear into it. What is it about you specifically that makes you good at client retention? You, not sure. your company, you know, you know not what? your brand. I'm going to answer you. something about uh, for Michael. So Michael is one of the most consistent individuals that I've met in terms of wanting to deliver for his team, mm -hmm. his employees, and the clients that he services. So mm -hmm. Michael doesn't waver from who he is. Mm -hmm. He cares. He recognizes his team on the very things we're talking about. So they get pumped up to know that this is what good looks like. And so I think for both of us, and I try to emulate that as well, it's not words, Aram. It is being real. It is being consistent. So you can recognize someone's anniversary at your company or your birthday or when Michael does it or I do it or others that really care. You know that he's actually happy that you are a part of the team and he's really happy that you've been there for that long. It's not going through or checking a box. Okay. And I love that. Now I want to ask you though, Rob Francis, I want you to forget about everyone else. What makes you the guy that drives across the state, meets with the client, who is upset and wants to terminate your contract, what makes you able to go in there and turn things around specifically? 
Specifically, they know, one, it's in my, I, I, maybe it's just because it's in my DNA, but they know that not only do I care, but hopefully they feel and know that the team that's around them cares. So whatever the issue is, mm-hmm. in my view, mm-hmm. it can be salvaged. If you are willing to go across the state and sit with the person through a snowstorm or whatever the uh, issue may be, and they can feel it and they know it. And um, those stories, mm-hmm. you know, they resonate through the, you know, through the, the DNA or through the culture of the, of the business. They know if their leader mm-hmm. is willing to go out there and do it, they would do it. Okay. And, I'm, but I'm going to go, I'm going to push you even further. Man. Sure. Sure. Okay. What I'm hearing is you were unwilling to accept that there is a lost client there. I, I, Cause I heard you say, it, it's like, oh, there's always a way. Yes. I, I believe that a no is probably a maybe. And I, I, <laughs> I do, I do. And I, and I, I believe that, that, you know, if we're, if we're being real and we're being genuine, I don't believe there's anyone that's better suited to, to service the building than a planned. Okay. So, that's and, it, man, that's what I yeah. want to know. Like, let's move past the, the stuff. You believe there is no lost client. Almost never. You can almost always turn it around and that there is no one better. Is that right? I do believe that. And I, I will say, Aram, that we make a choice when we do business with you or with someone else as well. We believe it's a, it's a, a relationship of equals. Yeah. We want to partner with our clients. So we're making a choice as well whether planned is going to be servicing that building and having that relationship. Yeah. And so if we want the relationship, absolutely. I believe that there is no lost business if we want to be doing business with you. Okay. That's what I want to know. I want us to move past the generalities. I want to understand why Rob Francis will not accept losing a client. Now we're going to Michael Mignolo. Sure. Okay. So, you know, one of the things I think through before I'm walking into a client where we know that we're in uh, a very strong watch list, they want to terminate the relationship. Uh, first thing I think about is, okay, what's the worst case scenario? And I logically think, what's the worst case scenario? Okay, the worst case would be we lose the account. We have detractors that are not happy with our service, and that's really bad. Uh, but what does that really mean? Because in life, we do fail at times Mm -hmm. and failure really is i think the pivoting point on how you can succeed is how you bounce back or what you learn from it so that's a very calming feel that i know what the downside is Mm -hmm. to me then it's all about upside there's nothing further than the downside of what i just said so i'm coming in more of opening on trying to get a really good understanding of what is it and where did we fail but it's not only listening to the words, because I'm a big believer that, you know, there's 93% of communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. So they may be saying certain things that it is. We didn't accomplish this. Uh, financials weren't presented on time. The manager changed multiple times. Those are real. I'm listening. But what is it? What are they really saying? What is their body language saying? And a lot of times there's a breakdown in relationship building and communication. And that's where I kind of hone in on how do we correct that? And a lot of times it's a matter of us dealing with one, acknowledging that, and then two is how we're gonna move forward and build on that. Okay, I gotta crack into this though. Because yes, all that stuff, that's all important. But what is it about you specifically as, I mean, the stuff that you've done in your career is astounding. How did you? Because I give a shit. That's it, man. I give like, a shit. And at the end of the day, I'm going to be as human 
as I possibly can to let them know it doesn't matter how large we are. Yeah. It doesn't matter if this account's X dollars or X plus 10. Yeah. You know what? I care about this relationship and I want to fix it because it means more than just having an account that stayed from a financial perspective. Yes, on the business side, that does have the back end of it. But the reality is letting them know that I really care. I really care about this. And I'm not happy that we let you down. Yeah. We let you down from a scenario of maybe we didn't communicate. Maybe we didn't educate you on what the expectations should have been. I'll own that. Mm -hmm. I'll own that. Let's move more towards what we can do to fix that. And my commitment, me personally, I am committed to this relationship and I stay connected to it until it's resolved. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I'm hearing here, and I, I want to boil this down, what you just said, it's like, I actually literally really care. And just so you know, when you said that, everything changed about your presence. You're like, all right, enough of this. Right. It's because I actually care. But to be in a space with someone, especially when there's like intensity or they're disappointed, it takes a ton of grit, courage, stick with itness. And that's where I want to start pushing on this. So when we're thinking about like the modern culture that we're in right now, where we suddenly have access to a lot more clients, there's a lot of competition. It seems like relationships can be maybe not as solid as they once were. Where does grit and courage and the willing to like not accept losing a client, where does that play in in either of your approach, and I'll throw it out, uh, you could, out to you. You could throw it right to the top. Like this, the, the business for residential management and being in the service business, it is a marathon and a half. You cannot fake the business. And so you do have to give a shit and you gotta be willing to get up every day and play ball. And I think for some, it tires them out. For others, it, they feel things are fundamentally unfair. When, when Michael and the group are dealing with five, seven, nine, eleven board members, and they have to try to get a majority to see a thing a certain way. Yes, they're going to have to have a lot of grit and a lot of tenacity to go through different perceptions of what great service is. But if we look, when we were starting out, we always had the grit and we had the, the, the stamina and staying power. And we didn't have half the tools, technology or departments that, that we have today at our disposal to actually not just deliver, but literally go to that next level of service. But the first part of to build these businesses that we had was this grit. And I do find that that competitors today, they they have good fast sprints, as he'll say, and then they'll just kind of peter out because it is a very tough grind. And the grit goes both ways. So if you as the leader, if I am all about just making that client happy, I potentially lose my people mm. because those people our associates are working their asses off yeah. and they're taking at times a lot of heat. Yeah. Sometimes we deserve it. I mean, in a service business, sometimes we put ourselves in a position where we have to own the heat, but there's a lot of times as well as we don't. And we're, we're kind of the, I would say the cushion that they're hitting on. So I am equally aware of both sides, you know, and, and I say this respectfully. So if, you know, clients are, are, are listening to this, I think that they would appreciate if, the, if you look at it and say, who's your number one client? To me, it's the associates. They have to be bought in. For us to deliver exceptional service to you, the client, they have to feel trust internally. 
is leadership behind you? You know, will they stand up for you? Will they draw a line with the client when it's necessary? And the answer is yes. I have pushed back on clients and even walked away because it was the integrity of our people and the loyalty of where it is. Now, that's a hard balance. Mm -hmm. You really have to be aware and keep your emotion in check because you can get caught up on a large client, dollars. uh, It could be a, a flagship, blue chip type of property. But at the same time, you have to be incredibly aware and respectful for the team that grinds for you every day. Yeah. So it is. there's no formula here of which one. Mm-hmm. It is be aware and make sure that you're making the best decision at that moment for the team that you need to be standing behind. All right. And you, you brought us right to where I want to go with this. What's the role in pushing back, educating, and also be willing to walk away? from clients when we're talking about client retention. Because, Michael, as you said, sometimes we're in a scenario where, yeah, from a service industry point of view, maybe we deserve to, to get this pushback or to have people be unhappy and, and to rightfully raise concerns where they might want to terminate. But flip it, sometimes, especially in service-based industries like the two that you're in, and I also think of, um, of Cadence as well, there's times where people have challenges or things they're upset about that actually aren't your fault or they've got an issue with pricing or this or that that's actually like a normal thing and actually should be that way. And there is a space where we have to push back. There is a space where we have to educate and there are spaces sometimes where we have to walk away. So I want to throw that out to both of you. Michael, you talked about it a bit, but let's throw it out to both of you. What's that space of pushing back and educating? How, when, like what's the philosophy? What's the stance? So- So I think it goes to, a lot of this goes to relationships and trust. How long have you had the relationship with the client? You know, what have been the ups and the downs? How do they look at things from a service expectation and philosophy? Then you have to ask yourself, how honest were we with them? Did we set the right expectation? Have we communicated? Has it been on a very regular, consistent basis on that? Then your team. How long has the team been with you? What do you know consistent and you know the, the I would say, the heart and soul of your team on how they philosophize over service as well? When you really feel that you've exhausted those is when you really have to decide how, do you, how and what you draw the line. But each one is an educational and an opportunity, mm-hmm. even when you unwind a relationship. Do you want to set the culture internally? that if a client is tough, we just roll over? Absolutely not. Do we want to set a culture internally that we have tried everything, that we've actually exhausted and listened and tried? Then we've made a business decision that our internal relationship is more important. And the same goes with the client, you know, taking that same approach. So you have to be careful because, you know, a lot of times we tend to lean towards if someone's you know, a problem, I don't want to deal with them. It's yeah. probably easier to walk away. Yeah. You know, I look at that and say, no, that's a challenge. Can we work on building the relationship? What can we effectively do mm-hmm. on our end? Gravity is we can't control them, but we can control the way we react and the way we're focused on how we work to build it. Mm-hmm. And when you've exhausted that, then you can maybe have those discussions. So going back to one of the first things you said earlier in our conversation, when we're really listening to people, We're not coming from a defensive space. We take our reaction out of it and we allow ourselves to be with a client who 
can have all those emotions, but we're there from a space of wanting to understand. Let's understand this. Yeah. But in that, get all that information and really look at like, hey, well, what did we do? Did we exhaust everything? What can we do? But you said something I want to explore a little bit more. When we've exhausted that, we've done that like good hard look at ourselves. We've held up the mirror and we actually realized, no, like we've delivered well here. It's at the right price, all of this stuff. When do we push back and when do we educate? And what part of that of client retention? Because that's about not allowing people just to push you with a stick and and not roll over. Because I want to explore in a few minutes the dangers of rolling over and just having a culture where you're constantly rolling over. So, but let's talk about when we push back. How do we push back and actually like stand our ground? And also, when do we educate clients? Well, I mean, as Michael was saying, I mean, it, it is a nuanced dance, though. I mean, you don't just push back for for pushback's sake. So. Our clients can see the world in different ways. And so we want to make sure that we are in tune and and looking at internally, what are we doing or could we do to service them in the best way we can? Now, to your to your point, though, if you've exhausted that and now you've gotten to this point where education is turning toward pushback, um, it's how you do it. It's what are you saying to that client that needs to be said and how are you saying it? And so there's ways to do it in a respectful, almost optimistic, half full way to see if you can bridge the gap to get to yes or to get to uh, an understanding. I would never want, and, and Michael made the point earlier, um, couldn't agree more, happy employees become loyal employees mm-hmm. and we're the ones delivering the service. So internally, you have to live your values and your culture will, will grow from that. Mm-hmm. And then the clients are going to feel that service from the loyal employees and uh, and hopefully it will resonate and they'll know, you know what, you you do, um, you can deliver, you do want to be here. But when it gets to that point, Aram, that you're uh, pushing toward, um, you do have to have the tough conversations. This is what we stand for. This is what we've done. Here's what we've we've looked at. And now we've reached a point where maybe this isn't the right relationship. That is very DEFCON level I guess one, if it's war games or, or uh, <laughs> yeah, but you, know. you know what though, guys, I, I have to say that it, it's the relationship is again, I'm going to use the analogy I did in the beginning is you have a neighbor, right? Over years, you build, you possibly build a relationship with that neighbor. You're not going to share a lot of things in the early part of that relationship. But once you get to a relationship point where you can have an honest intellectual dialogue with them and say, look, this isn't working for us. You know, the pressure that is being put on the manager, the amount of them dealing with multiple leaders instead of maybe one is not working. You have to break through and look at this at a point of where, when is it right time? You're ramping it up like any relationship. You have to ramp up of when you layer it in, as you asked, is it's not you wait to a breaking point and then go there. You have to start layering in in each stage, very precise and clarity around where the challenges are so that you're you're building up and you can look back and say we've been talking for six months mm-hmm. and here are five of the things that we talked about that we wanted to work on and for some reason it just hasn't come together mm-hmm. so they shouldn't be blindsided mm-hmm. that's our job is to educate and teach and work with our client they're our client okay i gotta hit on this though because you're saying something because i, I want to get to the specifics about what you two do and you're hitting on one of them. 
So when we're working with clients, we don't wait till like the 11th hour, <laughs> wait till DEFCON 1, right? <laughs> we are, from your perspective, from Michael Mandelo, an expert at client retention, someone who lives and breathes doing that. You set throughout the building of the relationship the expectation that you're going to educate, push back, and you're slowly, gradually building that kind of relationship so that if you get to that space where, you know, perhaps you're going to lose this, this relationship, this business, it wouldn't be a surprise for a client if you stood your ground and educated them because you've been building that the whole time. Does that sound right? Yeah, in, in theory. But I want to make something clear because expert or not, we're human. Yeah. So we don't get it right all the time. Yeah. You know, I don't get it right yeah. all the time. There are times where I'm being educated and schooled by the by the client yeah, who's yeah. saying, you know, you're not living up to what you say. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I heard you speak about client retention and you don't do that. And the reality is, there's so many tentacles that go into this, right? Yeah. We have thousands and thousands of associates. Yeah. How can we all be aligned at every single point? But to hone in on that is where, if you are aware and focused on the relationship, is making sure that you do, and when it is right, is you are starting to layer in where the challenges are. They may not agree. We may agree to disagree, but you owe it to them. They're your clients. You owe it to them to let them and also be be aware and mindful of how you do it, mm-hmm. your tone. Mm-hmm. If you come in with a very antagonistic kind of approach, it's not going to work. Yeah. If you really genuinely want to work the relationship, then put your guard down, yeah. put your ego down and start honing in on what can be the motive to fix whatever the break is. Yeah. Well, and because uh, when we're getting down to like really specific theory, one of the things that I'm hearing here is when someone is bringing up a tough, a client's bringing something tough to us, you're demonstrating a willingness to totally be there and listen. Absolutely. And, yes. and be there. Have to. But also, as you're growing the relationship, you're inviting them to take that same stance as well. And you're kind of demonstrating to them, hey, when we get into, into tough corners, I'm going to take some time to educate you. And I'm showing you how I'm open to hear your feedback. And you're trying to elicit that with them as well, that you're trying to create that kind of connection between them so they can be comfortable being non-defensive and listening. So that if you get to those pinch points, it won't be a surprise to them if you're like, actually, let's take a step back. This is where I think you got to have some ownership, you and your group. And the reason I want to hit on this is we can't always just roll over. There's points where we do have to educate. We do have to push back. But Michael, what I'm hearing a lot of you saying is you build towards that. You're thoughtful, you show that you're willing to, to listen, and you elicit that in others over time. Yeah, I mean, our, our clients, uh-huh. you have, uh, on average, a board of five. Mm-hmm. These are volunteers. Mm-hmm. These are people that are taking time of their spare time and making a conscious decision to want to be on the board and represent the community. It's a big commitment, yeah. and it's a thankless job for them. You know, it's not compensatory. They're not being paid. So I have great empathy of that. I really, really respect these people that, because I don't have time in my personal life to do that. So I'm always respectful that they have that. That's one. Two is they come from different backgrounds. So all five can come from completely different backgrounds. They see and have their view on expectations of service through their lens. I have to know that in advance. That's my job, our job to know that. So one is they may have an expectation that we may have to reboot. In this industry, this is the type of service that is required, or this is what you're looking for from the economic side for a service in in return of that. 
are we starting at ground zero doing that? You know, and we can always be better. On our end, we can always be better. That's where we have to establish the relationship there because they're coming with expertise from where their world, their upbringing, and their, their business background. And there's five of them with different views. Yeah. We have to kind of, at one, be the orchestra leader and then at times pick up the actual instrument and show them how to play each one of them, right? Yes. That's a tough thing to do because they may feel, no, no, no. I play the drums really well. <laughs> right, right. Don't you get in my face and teach me how to play drums. <laughs> right. But the reality is they might have a couple of blind spots yeah. that they don't know. So how do you do that? When I say about being authentic, you have to be able to connect and know their personalities and what where their hot buttons are. Because at the end of the day, if you can be in a better space, how you got there, who cares? Mm. Who cares if you didn't follow a certain cadence or an SOP? This is business of people. Put, take the shit off the table and get to know them and figure out how do you connect the dots on making it work. And we have to own that yeah. on our end. We have I, to own that. I love it. All right. And that's, yeah. that's the specificity I'm talking about. Because remember, our audience, they're coming to this conversation to learn from people. And I'm using the term expert for the two of you because I do believe you're both experts in client retention. Right. I've known you both for a long time. I've known your businesses for a long time. And I've seen this. They're coming to learn the specifics of what you do. So Rob Francis, sure. How do you, because you'd said earlier, there's a lot of nuances there. So let's move. Let's actually name the nuances. When we're like working with people, and now it's time to push back. Now it's time to educate. What do you do? And of course, I know everyone's different. Yeah. But and when you when practice. you say me, and and when Michael's speaking as well, so you know, I I have um, fortunately about about 150 incredible um, corporate team leaders, ops managers, field managers executive directors that are out there interacting, working with the boards, mm -hmm. working with um, CEOs or developers out there. Because remember my vertical where Michael has the five member board team and yes, you have to really have great listening skills, empathy, want to understand their viewpoint. We have um, corporate CEOs, retail CEOs. So we're dealing with different end users. Mm -hmm. um, it's investing in the team. I'm you know, a one person show who can give my uh, philosophy on leadership, but it is literally hundreds and hundreds of individuals out there interacting and um, working with these um, individuals to actually have these conversations. All right, but I'm leaning in, man. Because I'm not talking about the hundreds of people. I'm talking about Rob. Dig in, Rob. Yeah, yeah. what he wants. Wa <laughs> I want to know what you do. He's not stopping. Give him I what he wants. <laughs> Look, I, I, I have a, a good philosophy in terms of, and my plan became, if you fail to plan, plan to fail. So I do walk into any situation. As you can see, I have a couple, you know, uh, notes or talk tracks of what I want to talk about. Um, you have to go into the situation and at least be knowledgeable about what potentially is the issue on the other side of the table to get to this point where the relationship might disintegrate. Mm -hmm. For me, and it's just maybe the way I'm, I'm, you know, constructed. I don't want the relationship to go. I want to have that relationship. If we were conducting business together and we've, we've jumped in, I'm going to do everything possible to keep it. So I truly want to understand, was it our concierge, uh, on the midnight shift, um, not uh, attentive to a customer's need? Are your amenity areas not as clean as you wish them to be? Have we turned over too many maintenance techs? What is the issue and what can we do to solve it? So yes, that same passion or commitments there. Now, if we're viewing the world after exhausting every intellectual 
and passionate resource at my disposal. And this is very rare, Ram, 21 years uh, in the business uh, to have this happen. Then the Rob Francis that's now reached that end point could get to a point where we agree to disagree, but it's very, very rare. All right. But you're talking about two scenarios. You're talking about understanding clients' concerns and then also saying, hey, I've, re- I've reached an impasse. I'm very interested in knowing that other area where you're not willing to let go of the relationship. In fact, you don't need to let go of the relationship as long as the client will hear the truth from your perspective. Sure. How do you do that? So I try to be um, as candid as I can in terms of what I view the issue to be without crossing the line of being abrasive or, um, or rude. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at times, and I've grown through the business, my passion can either get the best of that situation and can, can win the person over, or it can sometimes maybe derail um, what I need to hear or what they need to hear. Mm-hmm. As I've grown through the business, I am more willing to actually give, I guess, the prescriptive, this is what, as a subject matter expert, this is what you should expect from any client or any, or any company coming in to work with you. These are some of the expectations that should be set. And if, um, you know, I try to outline them the best I can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Huh. All right. I'm going to flip it because now we're going to go to a next space. What's the danger of being the business or more so the leader? And Michael, you kind of touched on this earlier. What's the, what's the danger of being the business or the leader that will do anything to keep a client? So essentially just flips over like, yes, absolutely. Whatever you need. What's the danger there? Well, I think, again, it goes back to your associates, the team, your team. You know, uh, are we going to go in there rolling over? Do we agree before we go in there that we're going to roll over? Or in the moment, if we're in a meeting, um, I'm somebody that if I feel that we really, really have missed our mark and we could have done better, then we have to own that. Mm -hmm. And I own that to the client. I don't say our team didn't do well. I said, this is where I fell short. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, I want our team to know, no, no, I'm going to take this on the chin because that's how we operate as as a team. Uh, So if we're rolling over all the time, and again, it's not um, a lot, but when it does happen that we have to roll over, we better be in tune with giving our team, why did we? Because if you don't, and we don't have empathy for our own team, and we don't care about what they're thinking in the work they went through, the downside of that is there's a breakdown in trust. Oh, all you care about is, you know, getting the deal done or the economics that are connected to the deal. So I think, I think that's where I say you walk a very fine line here. Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure on all sides, mm-hmm. you know, are we communicating? Are we respecting each other mm-hmm. when we, we communicate? And then how are we getting to the point where we may end up agreeing and disagreeing that we're going to disagree or that we find a happy medium of that point? So I think if you, if you roll over without any reasons why all the time, your team is going to look and just say that, you know, you just keep putting on my shoulders, putting on my shoulders. And eventually it weakens the team. And that's not a good culture either because then there's not buy-in on the company and are we caring about all sides of this? Okay. There's no there's no right answer here. Right. Yeah. You know, one thing I know for sure, I don't have it down right. I am not like I don't view myself as an expert. Yeah. My my I term. Do, my term. I do genuinely think we're good at this mm-hmm. and that I care, but 
and every day I feel like, you know, I kind of got over a hurdle. There's times where I'm like, man, I just got schooled. I am so clueless. <laughs> I am so disconnected. I walked into that. But the human side of that is to admit that. I'll admit that to the client. I'll admit that to our teams when that happens. Yeah. So there is no right way all the time. Mm-hmm. But man, if you stay focused on those simple components, you're going to win more than you will lose. Complete, completely agreed. I mean, and just in terms of the loyalty that we engender or we build with our teams because we don't just sacrifice individuals for a client, that we know that they can say, well, uh, you know, you should get rid of this person or this manager. Sure, we could move a person or move another person. But those stories, if you have a real culture and they know that you're not loyal and committed to the team, that would derail what we're building. So from what I've seen with Michael and myself, we'll throw ourselves into the line of fire. And I think that's to what you were saying earlier, that we, we love to do. And we'll listen, we'll learn, we'll, we'll um, take the steps that we can to show that we care and that we do and they'll feel it and we'll be there. But there is that push or that line that, we, that I believe from a values-based, from a people-based, from the culture-based, that we wouldn't cross and our teams know it. And I believe they respond and have grown with us in our respective organizations, knowing that we have their backs like they have ours. Uh, and they definitely, and they definitely do. I mean, I could, I can pull dozens of leaders out right now and randomly throw their names out that are what I feel are the best when it comes to caring about the client and wanting to fix it. Yeah. And that's so important because as one person, you cannot drive that all across the board. The amount of states that we're in, the properties that we deal with, you know, I do feel, and I'm proud to say that, you know, we have amazing leaders who care, who genuinely care and go in to battle every day with that. And that where it comes down to is, are we operating consistently across or is one geographic area better than the other? You know, how do we, why is one better than the other? I always say, go back to the leader. Mm -hmm. This is a leadership driven business. It's service. You can have all the great intelligence, all the great want. You can memorize everything. It means nothing. It's a great movie with bad actors. You got to have the actors who believe in the script and that when you're watching that movie, you're like, wow, that movie moved me. That's a great leader in service business who takes the script and becomes the script, not just reading it off there. And we're fortunate that we have that across the board. This is one of those times where I wish we videoed the podcast because like, as you were yeah. talking about that, I was like, whatever, wh- whatever newsletter you have, man, and you I want that newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. We're going to flip it. Sure. Rob, what is the hardest, without getting into the, the client details, what is the hardest lesson that you as a leader have learned about client retention? And it could be about losing a client, losing people on your team. And also, I love how both of you have introduced this, like keeping our teams intact. We got to think about that because it's about retention can go both ways. You yourself think about all of your years. What is the one hardest lesson without getting into client specifics that you as a leader have learned? For me, uh, I mean, in my career, knowing that no matter how hard we try with, I guess, in one specific example, you just can't please everybody. No matter what you throw at it, what you do, no matter what your intentions are, having all the tools, all the capabilities, that if someone just doesn't want to work with you, if you don't have that relationship, you can say 
and do anything and it's not going to change the fact that it wasn't meant to be. And for me, that's hard, especially someone who, if you want that relationship, uh, that lesson that you can't win them all, can't please everybody all the time, that was hard in the beginning because I actually had this notion that planned. I came in in 98. Um, we, do, we did not have, uh, for, for about a decade, we had a 95, 96% client retention rate, no matter what size. Now we have over a thousand properties, over 4,000 team members, still in the 90s, which is great. But each and every loss, I had this notion we could get to 100% retention if we just did X, Y, and Z. And um, it's a hard lesson in that you can't please everyone, but you can do this. You can take the steps and invest the right way in your team and you can get more consistent and, and raise that bar no matter how big you are and get to a very good number of retention in the, in the 90s, they said, if you are more consistent and do those things right and well. Okay. What about that was hard for you personally? So now I'm not talking about in the corporate space, I'm talking about for you as a human being. What was so hard about that lesson that no matter what you do, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you show up, what was personally hard for you about learning that lesson? You know, it just hurts, man. You know, I don't have to tell you. Like I, when you put that much into growing a business and building a business, you get, you go through all the range of emotion. And for me, who, you know, you put an energy into it, you, you really feel it. Mm-hmm. And there, I guess, cause you'd want to avoid that uh, bad feeling. You get angry, you get depressed, uh, and you really fight through it and figure out how do I avoid having that happen again? So for me, it's, it, you know, it, it's it's personal. Yeah, it personally hurts. Yes, it does. It personally hurts. It sure does, my man. It really does. Well, and I want to hit on this uh, because it's true to what I know about you. you know, part of the reason that I believe both of you are so driven, and, and Michael had said it earlier, like he actually really cares, but it's more than, you know, because every company it's like, we care. You two actually care. You know, I've been with you. Um, I've spent some time with you when you were working on things like this. Like, hey, you know, this we're we're a little bit on a watch list here around this, and I've seen your process around it. And there's like a huge personal side where you're really thinking, like, I not as a business leader or a guy that's looking about a bottom line, but I as a human being do not want to lose this client because I actually care, and it hurts me to lose a client. Spot on. I mean, and I, um, look, I'm a one person in a large band, and I will go when needed, when necessary, or when desired to try to, to uh, right a wrong or um, Im- impact a relationship that I think is going the wrong way. Did it yesterday, uh, doing it tomorrow. Uh, it's part of the gig, but uh, I wanna make sure that there are many Rob Francis's and, and living in the D in, in the culture of plan that will go and represent what we're doing. And okay. real quick, um, cause what you're saying about me and, and, and Michael, one of the reasons that I think our relationship, and it was, I think 2002, 2003, when I gravitated toward Michael is, yeah, he does care. And his, at the time, I don't know, he called it the Kool-Aid. His culture was to get everybody on that Kool-Aid and to feel that juice and it, you know, flowing through them on service, on being passionate about delivering. And I remember he was building a legacy brand, my father sitting between us and him and Michael talking about culture and knowing this, this individual cares, gets it, is passionate, and he's gonna build something great. And that was 17 uh, years ago. So you were like, was drawn to like. So I'm gonna throw it to you now. Toughest lesson that you have ever learned without client specifics around client retention, something that was really hard for you to learn? 
So I, I think it's the loss you didn't see coming. So it could be a, a client and it also could be an associate. And it doesn't have to be an executive. There are people that have left that were in the field and they weren't executive or they weren't maybe high level influencers. But I really, really cared and thought that they had a long trajectory with the business and they had a good career with us as well as a client. And being blindsided on uh, losing something like that really, really hurt, really hurt. And it's funny because, you know, it, it didn't change the business. So the business aspect didn't get hurt. I mean, you know, you lost a good person. It may have uh, upset a few properties if it was a manager or accounting or administrator or that one property that you lost, but it didn't implode us. But what I realized was, wow, the power of the relationship, what didn't I do that I should have saw that? So when I fail, which unfortunately I do, and, and sometimes more than I want to, when I know I put my best into it, I can accept the failure and then learn from it. When I realize I didn't, or I let a blind spot happen, that really gets to the core of me. That's when it really, like the lesson is the devil's in the detail in the relationship too, yeah. you know, and, and, and those relationships are important. And that's kind of a lesson of saying, look, every day you got to work on this. There's no, you got to stay innovative. You got to be, be aware of what's going on and build those, those relationships, not just assume because I know that client for a long time or we had him for a long time or we had that person here wrong. You know, that's, they don't deserve that. We should be on it. And those, when I lost the account or lost the person, that was a tough, tough lesson and hurt. Okay. Open question to both of you. You've both been leaders in a service industry for a very long time, but I want to step outside of your industry and I want you to just think in general. From the business world, do you think the focus and the ability for people to retain clients has increased, decreased, or stayed the same? So have you noticed any shift on how people are working with clients in that way? Are you asking on working meaning from the service side of it or the client themselves? Um, either. Either either perspective. Has there been any shift in, in client retention, not just in your industries or in your world, but business in general? Have you noticed, are we getting better at it? Are we getting worse at it? Are we the same? Yeah, I, I, well, you know, from my lenses, I'm, I, I don't have the uh, stats on this, but my feel is there's a lot more of being distant to connecting with the relationship. I think people are looking for uh, what's the maybe financial savings or what's the little uh, value add that, you know, that sexy little thing that they're going to go, I want that, I want that. And by the way, those are important and they always will be. But I think what's what's losing is the personal side of it. And it's a tug and pull here because yeah. I think the client doesn't want in general to be all the time warm and fuzzy. Just give me what I want and get it done at times. Mm -hmm. And because of the internet and because of technology, you can get there quicker at 24-7. And you also have that tug pull on the, on the person providing the service that can say, hey, look, how do I get them their information maybe by hitting a button versus talking to them? But I still think really the differentiator is when it needs the human side, you've got to play it. Some want it more, some want it less. And I think there's the balance. So I think there is a change, but 
people, I think, when you build the relationship with most, even the ones who want information from A to B, there's still a human side of all of us. Yeah. We want some level of a connection, yeah. you know, in that. Yeah. But I think that's changed, you mm-hmm. know, in a sense that technology has been great, but it's probably hurt the situation from a relationship perspective. You know, it commoditizes the service uh-huh. versus, you know, I'm working with a RAM yeah. and you know about a RAM and you know a little bit more about them and oh, you know, just got married, has a has a child, like versus, you know, I'm dealing with the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, l- less brand loyalty, more people loyalty. Mm-hmm. I see that too. Um, I think because there's more choice and information out there than ever before and you can get a five-star review, one-star review, it could be price, it could just be convenience. People, I think, on the brand um, don't care as much and will, will change or flip. Uh, on the people part too, keeping happy employees engaged, um, you have to have a why or a purpose uh, more now than ever before. And so that loyalty has diminished and you have to give the, the troops, the team, a reason for wanting to hang their hat with you and proud of steps that we're taking to do it. And I think it's resonating, but you have to be, I'll use it, intentional or thoughtful about what you're doing or we're in a world, I think today, where people will turn the channel uh, where we used to have a hundred choices to the 500 choices they have or more. And so that's the, I think the, the world we're in today. Yeah, totally. Okay. So keeping in mind the world's changing, you two are kind of in the same generation. What advice do you have for a leader who is earlier career and really wanting to hone their chops at client retention in the modern landscape? Advice. I'll throw it out to you. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll just jump in. So for me, it, you know, you, you really do need to know. Um, you know, your why or why you exist. And you really do have to have passion for what you're doing. So don't just do anything. Do something you're passionate about because you don't want to watch the clock. But you're not, your why isn't to make money. That money's going to come. Mm-hmm. Profit will come. Mm-hmm. You should be driven on something that means something to you and the rest will happen. So, you know, you hear those TED Talks, whatever about why. But I think this, that for planned anyway, the secret sauce has been we believe in our why. We literally get up and believe we can enhance the quality of life for the people we service. It's literally embedded through the four generations of what we do. And when we hire and when we train and when we invest and when we promote, the team knows our why. And so when we talked earlier, the service profit chain, I guess, happy employees become loyal, happy clients become loyal, and then the money comes. I would give any entrepreneur or CEO, you go into any business, be passionate about it, know why you're doing it and just go for it fully. So I'm going to, I'm going to look at it and address it to the person that is not known, doesn't want to become, you know, a senior executive or uh, a CEO or entrepreneurial, you know, but if you have those people skills, it's becoming more and more of a commodity. That's going to be really, really a differentiator in the future because so many people are, gearing towards social media and technology that I think the human side of this, if you feel that that's something that you like and you want to do, the service business is going to be huge in those opportunities over the next 10 to 20 years because I think we're losing that. So the more young leaders coming in who really want to want to work on relationships and hone in on those type of skills 
to build client retention for the company they work for, I think have a great, great trajectory uh, in the future uh, of that. So if you if you are one who does like relationship building, uh, interacting with people, you have great patience, uh, you're a good listener, you know, to hone in on that with companies that really respect that and appreciate that, you have a great, great future. Great okay. future. So last question for both of you. And uh, this is one that, I really want to understand about you. So both of you have a very unique in today's modern landscape journey to where you're at now because you were really in it. You know, Rob, fourth generation. We don't see that a lot anymore. Michael, you and a few other people, you were trying to figure out where do we play here and you found this space that at first you're like, nah, it's not, you know, like it's, it's okay. But then the further you got in, you're like, oh wow, this is my thing. And then you built that up. So there is something to be said about your ability to retain clients. That's part of just like being in the trenches and like doing the dirt and getting there and figuring it out. There's still some of that in the business world, of course, and there always will be, but the stories are different now. So about you, as a leader, your core, who you are, if you were going to pass one thing on to the next generation that you learned from your time around client retention and like what really matters for you and your approach, what's that thing, Michael? Patience. 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 I think patience of yourself, patience of the issue and the situation and not jumping to conclusion with finishing what you think it could be and all the different uh, obstacles that it could create. Being patient with great listening skills connected to that is at least the part of the foundation. There's a lot of things I can, I can say. But I think what's helped me is being patient along this journey of that. I think that wanting it now, wanting it quickly is great, but be realistic that it doesn't happen overnight on that. Okay. Rob, I'd say heart. Uh, you can have all the process in the world, all the infrastructure, but for today, tomorrow, everyone will feel your heart. And if you have heart, you can accomplish so much in life, whether business or personal, and uh, never lose that. And heart can take on a lot of stuff, but your commitment, your passion, your heart, if it comes through, you can retain a lot of clients, build a lot of relationships, and have a lot of fun along the way. Awesome. And I would, I'd say, Ram, if there, if even though you didn't ask us, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Three, it's patience, passion, and consistency. It's those, those, those areas of things that I think, what's your passion? Are you consistent at it? Be patient okay. along there. I'm going to throw one more in there because this is true about both of you. You both actually truly believe in yourselves. You know, and I'm not saying, about all aspects of your life or everything, but you believe in your companies, you believe in your teams, you believe in your services, but if you go in to meet with a client, you believe in yourself. Both of you, when you walk into situations, can have all sorts of doubts about all sorts of things, but when it's zero hour and you walk in the door, there's not a shred of doubt on either one of you. And that's not from a place of ego, it's from a place of true belief. And if there's something that I, I want to leave with our audience today, client retention, you know, we can have like huge books about it. We can have, 
instructional videos. We can have all of these things. At the heart of it, keeping clients isn't about collecting all the marbles. It isn't about having all the toys. It's about having relationships that are longstanding because you're demonstrating real understanding, real care, but also deep, deep self-belief in who you are, what you do, and how you can help. So as we're wrapping up today, there's something that I want to encourage leaders of every stage in their career and teams of every stage in their career. Go beyond the process. Process is important, but how are you as a professional in your real belief, in your clients, in yourself, and how you can help? So this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's very cool to be out yeah. here in New York and from the East Coast back to the West Coast. Gotta, gotta, gotta go. Dave, drop the beat. That was a really fun conversation. So both uh, Michael and Rob, I've known them for years and they delivered even more than I could have hoped for. So as I said in our intro, client retention, it's not just a science. It's not something you just go to school about or take a course about and figure out what's that magic formula. It has a lot to do with getting people, really empathizing with them, knowing how they feel, and then being able to be in that space with them so you maintain the relationship. So being able to maintain client relationships also means that we have to have a relationship with ourselves as professionals. We're not going to do anything to keep a client. We're going to do the right things to keep clients. And that starts by having a great relationship with yourself, with your colleagues, with your company, with your leader, and really believing in what your product is. So when we're thinking about client retention, I hope you got just as much out of this as I did and know that at the end of the day, whether clients come or go, it's all about how you walk it. Until next time, this is One Step Beyond. <laughs>